0: Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan, and we've got a great guest for you today. If you're a Red Sox fan or a fan of the New England prospects, we've got you covered. Coming up momentarily will be Northeast Regional Scouting Supervisor for the Boston Red Sox, Ray Fagnant. The former Holyoke Catholic High School baseball legend has helped the Red Sox front office staff build four World Series champion rosters. The first player he signed was Lou Merlone, who played nine seasons in the big leagues. He also signed pitchers Manny Del Carmen and Carl Pavano, the latter of whom was traded to Montreal in 1997 in a deal that brought future Hall of Fame hurler Pedro Martinez to Boston. Ray helped develop the annual Summer Rivalry Classic for high school prospects and also coaches the Northeast Regional Team at the Area Code Games. I know you want to hear what Ray has to say about the Red Sox farm system, the draft process, and how things are stacking up for the 2022 MLB draft. So I'll quickly share some of the ways you can engage with the New England Baseball Journal platform. To check out all the latest content from our staff at New England Baseball Journal, visit baseballjournal.com. This month, we're previewing the top prep school players in New England by position, We're also writing spotlights on travel ball programs and every D1 college program in the region. Later this month, the winter edition of New England Baseball Journal is off to the presses. We just had our cover shoot with some of the top D1 pitchers in the region. Get that edition mailed to your home or office by clicking the subscribe tab at the top of baseballjournal.com. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Here's Ray Fagnant, who is joining us in studio. Ray, thanks so much for joining us in studio. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Well, I've always, uh, I've always thought you'd live the dream. You know, you're kind of trying to unearth the local talent to help contribute to the the local professional baseball organization. But after getting to know you, I guess for the last couple of years, um, you know, there's definitely more to your job than that. You you started the summer rivalry classic. You coach the area code games team, and it seems like there's more of a uh, uh, an effort to really boost uh, the appreciation and the participation in baseball in the New England area. How do you see your contribution to the local baseball scene?
1: Well, you know, the job description says, kind of like we, what you mentioned, uh, a, a scout and acquire talent for the Boston Red Sox, but I think there's so much more to it than that, as you alluded to. Uh, it's just growing baseball in the area. Um, anything that we can do to um, expose players to um, higher-level instruction, exposure to major events, competition against players from other parts of the country, and just give everybody a chance to be seen. And uh, I think we're kind of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's spreading the game, uh, expanding it, and uh, like you said, there, there's a lot of facets to it. But, you know, that's the fun part because, like I said, we're, our job is to sign players. But you know, at the end of the day, I think what we're doing is contributing to baseball on a whole and, uh, you know, just making it better throughout the, uh, throughout the area.
0: Yeah, and I think we we sometimes we kind of follow the same calendar in that, you know, some of the most important coverage that we do is leading up to the draft, trying to identify the guys that might be get drafted or even see, you know, college guys who are having great seasons and look at them to see how they are as prospects. So That kind of is the pinnacle of the year, and maybe June or last year it was in July, and this time can be kind of challenging because there's not a lot of competition happening. There's a lot of training, obviously, and there's a lot of facilities where they do things indoors now across New England, but sometimes uh, this time of year is nice because you get to take a little bit more of a big-picture approach before it starts to get crazy where you're just games, games, games every day. Uh, How do you structure your year as a scout? What does the calendar look like? this time of year and how will you kind of build into the spring
1: well it's it's cyclic you know I've been doing this for it's my my 29th or 30th year I stopped counting but um it's uh a, just a, an ongoing cycle and you know last year or this year's draft preparation started literally you know minutes after the draft concluded last year two hours after the draft finished last year I, I, was, on a, I was on a plane to uh, Tampa Florida to go to the uh, the PG National um so it is cyclic but you know, you're always looking to the next draft, and this time of the year, you know, December, January, February, the slow period, if you will, where there's no actual games, I think you can really get a jump um, by just, you know, seeing players. Um, you know, it's a it's a much less demanding, uh, a little slower schedule right now. Uh, you can play in workouts, just go see players work out, just um, getting a chance to meet them, just something as simple as going to the cage, watch them hit, take you know, twenty twenty five swings and kind of uh, kind of see what they're about. You know, meet them, get to know them, know their personalities. Uh, pitchers, same thing. Just go see them throw a, an easy flat ground. Like I tell players, you know, this time of year when we go see you perform, you know, there's very very low expectations. You know, obviously we're months away from playing games, and you know, we just want to see you go about your business and get to meet you a little bit, uh, get to talk to you, you know, talk to you about the game. And I think it's really beneficial this time that you can get a lot out of it. You get a jump on the competition.
0: Right. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you're even working a year ahead, like even, you know, the 12 month cycle, like you think about Jack Penny was on the area code games uh, team a couple of years ago. But if you go out to Phillips Andover and watch him, you might see Thomas White, who's, you know, a 2023. So you're probably putting together your board for, you know, even a, a year ahead of time. What uh? How many guys do you end up with that you like as you're mapping out your spring and summer that you say, hey, I need to see this guy, this guy, this guy. How many guys do you think going into the draft, uh, for the 2022 draft do you have
1: on your board? Yeah, I typically say we'll go into the season with a, about a hundred follows, okay. and out of those hundred follows, you know, you know who the high profile guys are, but it's anybody that caught your attention over the previous year, be it in a workout, a showcase, or a game, you make note of them. Um, eventually you'll, and, and that's kind of like your blueprint Your blueprint for the spring, and eventually you'll whittle that list down to where you get to about maybe 25 or 30 when it comes draft time. And, you know, especially now with, uh, sadly, you know, there's 20 fewer rounds. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's fewer names. Like, I'll continue to turn in as many players as I always have in the past, regardless of how many rounds there are. But it's just unfortunate that, you know, not all of those guys will get taken. But it's, you know, you start with a, and I like to be, you know, very liberal. I I like to like players. I really like to like players. So I'll start with a big list. Like I said, we'll kind of whittle that down over the course of spring. And eventually, you know, when draft time comes, um, you know, I'll have my, you know, maybe 30, 35 magnets up on the board. You know, we'll see what happens from there. But that's, it's about the same number every year.
0: Okay. And now I, you hear about the twenty eighty grading scale for scouting. Um, I don't know if you use that or if everybody does it differently. Uh, I know, you know, you, there are obviously five tools that you want to evaluate. You also want to know, you know, does this kid love baseball? How hard does he work? You know, what, are, what is he like as a teammate? How do you – what is your system for evaluating guys?
1: It is – I think – probably all 30 teams are on the the 20 to 80 scale, scale. and obviously majority of people know that it's, you know, hit, uh, hit with power, run, field, and throw, but, you know, a big part of it is, you know, you look at the the physical tools like that, and like you said, so much of it, you know, besides, you know, the mental part and um, the makeup and, and everything else is can the player use these tools, do the tools play, and it comes down to can they play baseball, you know, we see a lot of kids with you know immense physical tools that at the end of the day, you know, they just don't translate on the field. So, in terms of the physical portion, yes, you have the tools, but does it translate into game applicable skills? And beyond that, you know, you have the, the makeup, the desire to play, the work ethic, and everything else. And the more you see a player, you know, the closer you get to that player, the more you can find out about him. That's when you get you know the true picture. Um, scouting is. An opinion, but it's an educated opinion, and you know our process, particularly with the Red Sox, the more people we can have see these players, I think is to our advantage. The more educated opinions you have, the better position you are to make you know the right the right selection. Yeah, what's
0: interesting, baseball is so different, um, and you've been through you know, like you said, you've been around you know 28, 29, 30 years with the Red Sox organization, so you've been through. Different, um, you know, front offices and things that they value. There's been, you know, a lot of different philosophies uh, throughout baseball, and it's changed a lot over the 30 years. I remember um, a few years ago, you know, following football, the the Eagles, when they uh, hired Chip Kelly, all of a sudden they decided, you know, everybody's hand side needs needs to be a certain size of a uh, position. There's an ideal Height, weight, all those types of things. It didn't work out so well for Chip Kelly when he, when he came in with that philosophy. But are there things that change, you know, when the, the front office, when the GM changes that you say, OK, now we have to evaluate guys in a different way. We're looking for guys who are bigger, stronger, faster. We're going to value sp- uh, speed this year. Like, does it
1: change or have you always evaluated guys the same way? I think last count, I think I've been, I've worked under seven general managers, I think, but it's it's been consistent uh, throughout. Um, You can describe it any way you want, but I think ultimately we're looking to get the best possible players, and I mean that's such a broad, um, you know, non-specific term, but within that, over the course of the you know twenty-plus years. you know, we've brought in analytics, we've brought in sophisticated sports science, we've brought in we've brought in all sorts of experts, some science to it, but at the end of the day, you know, going back from Lou Gorman to Dan Duquette to Theo to Dave Dombrowski and and um, and, and Haim now, it's is it a player that's going to help the Boston Red Sox? We're looking for championship level players and we're looking for, you know, a Red Sox type player that has I guess like the other twenty nine teams, you know somebody's going to help you win on the major league level. So the things that we're looking for have remained consistent, but we've just you know we've had a lot of innovation within the system. Um, the game has advanced, but at the end of the day, when you know you're holding the magnets and you're going to select a player, it's you know how how is this player going to help the Red Sox win? And with all the resources that we've introduced over the last you know couple decades. Um, you know, we're in a better position to make perhaps a more accurate evaluation, but at the end of the day, it's is this player going to help us win? Is this the kind of player that we want to have in Boston on several different levels, both the physical ability, uh, the clubhouse personality, what they're like in the community, and is, is it a good asset for the Red Sox, and are they going to make this a championship team?
0: Would there ever be uh, a guy that you say, I just don't know if he can handle – The bright spotlight in Boston, you know, maybe he'd be better off, you know, playing in a smaller market, Uh, you know, maybe Tampa Bay where it's not as big like this isn't a guy that does well when there's negative feedback.
1: There have been those players, you know, over my tenure here, I guess, where we said they, they did better in the small markets, if you will. You know, some of that may just be uh, these teams maybe were in a rebuilding phase or were not where we were in the standings at that particular time. But, you know, everybody's different. You know, it takes some players longer to develop. You know, a lot of times that's not only baseball-wise, but just maturity and every other facet. So I think ultimately at the end of the day, you want to play in a big market. Mm -hmm. Not just because of the potential, you know, financial ramifications, but, you know, people know how passionate fans are about baseball in New England, in Boston. You know, you know who the big market teams are. Boston, New York, Los Angeles, the big market cities, I'll say. Mm -hmm. But, you know, players develop at at different rates. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, you can look back on that when somebody's done playing or when they're further along in their career. Are they, quote, a big market player? I don't know if anybody's ever asked that question, but it's just, can they help us win? Right. And, like I said, you see them develop like that, and they develop at you know different rates sometimes, a lot of different players.
0: Yeah, and another reason baseball uh, seems to be different from a scouting and draft perspective, like in basketball um, and even in football, you might draft for need a little bit more. Like if you're the you know Philadelphia 76ers and you have Joel Embiid as the center, you're not going to take a center with a high draft pick. Whereas baseball, like you can never have too much pitching, Um, you're probably just going to take the best player and slot him in regardless of what you have. Although you do need to take a big picture look and say, you know, what does our farm system look like right now? What do we need, you know, at the major league level? Uh, How would you describe the strengths of the Red Sox farm system, which by all accounts seems to have improved pretty dramatically in the last couple of years?
1: If you look at the you know publications evaluating it, you know they seem to indicate that we're we're certainly on the uptick. But a lot of times, you know, you'll you'll deem a farm system as not having a lot of prospects because you got those prospects to the big leagues really quickly. Yeah, you know that's part of it. But I think um, it's so different. It's so much different than than basketball or football specifically because. You are, for the most part, years away from contributing on on the major league level. So, for that reason, you know you'll take the best prospect available. You might take, you know, three right hand pitchers in a row or four shortstops in a row, what have you, because you're so far away from the finished product. But that's exactly it. So, you don't go into the draft saying we need X amount of pitchers, X amount of middle infielders. It's just, you know, it, you're such a long ways away. You just take the best players, the best talent that you can find that's available to you. And you'll develop them because, as I tell every player I've ever signed, there's 30 teams out there. I just want to see you get to the big leagues. If it's with us, obviously that's the ideal scenario. But sometimes, you know, we'll we'll draft, develop a prospect, and you know we'll trade him and get you know get some more in return. But you know, ultimately, you're you're, you're a long way from the finished product, so there's a lot more patience, and there's no hard and fast rules as to who you know or what positions you're going to select. Yeah, you mentioned you might take three right-handed pitchers.
0: Wasn't there a team last year that took just strictly pitchers throughout the draft? I can't remember which team that was. Oh, okay. Angels,
1: I believe they drafted 20 pitchers. Yeah. And after the draft, uh, I think within 24 hours of the draft, they signed four more. Yeah. So, you know, last year was such a unique situation where with no short season, you know, you weren't filling out a team. Right, you know, so there are there in the past there had been some some instances where you get to the later rounds of the draft and you say, hey, we need a we need a catcher for our short eight team or you know a team needs a shortstop in this the, the appy league or something like that. So there you know a rare rare situation where late late in the draft you know you need a specific you know if it were between one or two players you say, hey, this guy can we need this guy right now in short season Lowell or Gulf Coast league or something, but you know, I don't think it's like that as much anymore with no short season per se and with the smaller draft and uh you know, Anaheim or Anaheim, LA, what are they they're LA right now, right? Yeah, Angels, LA. Yep. yep. You know, they uh, you saw that, you know, that was the uh you know, twenty taking twenty pitchers, that was uh, that was interesting. But I guess that reinforces the adage where you can never have too much pitching. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, last year was a historic year for uh, New England prospects. Um, you know, Frank Mazzucato went number seven overall. Sal Frelick was also in the first round. He had some guys uh, who played college ball outside the area that were from New England. Ryan Cusick, Steve Hajar, uh, Josh Baez, you know, out of high school, went in the second round. Um, how do you see – and, it, you know, that was such a rarity, I wouldn't expect it to uh, repeat again this year. But how do you see 2022 – stacking up compared to that class from a New England uh, perspective
1: it's it's always cyclic you know last year was once in a generation and you mentioned all those names within my area and you know also having Pennsylvania and Jersey we had you know there were there were three four more that you know Benny Montgomery um Chase Petty uh there were you know there were there were three four more than one the first round so that was certainly a once in a generation unique but you know there'll always be players. If it's not necessarily as it's not necessarily as top heavy this year as it was last year, but you know there 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 is talent out there. You know some guys will come will really come on over the course of the spring. But it's uh, probably more of a distribution throughout. I don't even say later rounds, but just maybe not so much the first round as it was last year, which was just so unique mm-hmm. and exciting. But there are big leaguers out there, so it's just up to us to find them. And uh, you know we'll see in five years how we did.
0: Yeah. I always think it, it must be a killer during the draft when you put all this time in like you said you're seeing 80 100 guys this spring and um like I always think of a guy like Aaron Savali who uh went to Northeastern and everybody knew, you know, like he was you know, not everybody knew he he was going to do as well as he has because he's you know, he's in a big league rotation, he's he's had a really good career so far. But um it must be tough when you invest that much time into go seeing this guy, and then all of a sudden, you know, you only had two chances probably during the draft to get him because you went in the third round. Um, is that is that one of the more crushing parts of your job, when somebody you put that much time into gets drafted by somebody else?
1: You understated it. It is absolutely crushing. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's, the nature, that's the nature of the business. And it's interesting that you mentioned Savali specifically. You know, he grew up near me, played, you know, Legion near me, and from the East Windsor area. And, you know, we were watching him on TV about two years ago, making a major league debut, or, you know, as early as his major league career. And I was sitting there watching it, with, watching it with my boys. And I said, hey, remember, you know, the kid we went to, There's uh, a friend of mine has a batting cage in the area. And I said, you know, remember the kid we went to uh, see it throw at Brian's cages? I said, that's him. <laughs> you know, but there's stories like that, so many stories like that for, you know, so many of these guys, but... It's uh, you know it's a it's a close attachment to them where you see a lot of times you see them you know early on in high school you know Legion summer ball and you know you get to know these players really well and you you want everybody on your list and it's certainly just not possible obviously but um, but ultimately you like to see these kids succeed because it's good for baseball in the area you know and if, and if they're on our draft list first of all it means above being a good player they're a good kid right you know that's it, it, and you just really root for these kids. And, you know, the, he, like he, you mentioned Aaron, he's one of those guys that I'll stay in touch with periodically. You know, there's a, a handful of players that, you know, I've gotten close to over the last several years where even if it's, you know, maybe once every six months or around opening day, just shoot them a text and say, hey, you know, good luck to you this year. Hope everything's going well. Hope your family's doing well. And, you know, because that's the nice thing about baseball. It's such a, you know, no matter how many years you're away from somebody or how many players you see or how many years – you know, go by, um, you know, nothing changes, you know, he's still, you know, now somebody like Todd Frazier, who I get, you know, we didn't get, obviously, he's been out for 13, 14 years, but he's somebody that, you know, every couple months, I'll shoot him a, a text, he'll shoot me a text, what have you, and you just, you keep in touch with these guys, and you run into them down the road, but it's, like I guess that's the nature of baseball, that's the beauty of the game, where it really is a small world, where, you know, you, you, you keep in touch with these guys, and, you know that reminded me of a real quick story um, during the you know, early on in, the COVID, in the, uh, the COVID quarantine. This was maybe April or so of, of 2020 when you know everybody was hunkered down at home. You know it's three in the morning. Uh, everybody's up in my house. I'm watching. Yes, we got MLB Network on with the boys and the 20 whatever year it was, uh, whatever year the uh, the Homer Derby when it was in Cincinnati you know Todd Frazier's big day oh, yeah, you yeah. know and i just texted him i said hey todd we're you know 3 in the morning watching the homer derby you know hope you're well hope everybody in your family's healthy and it was it wasn't 60 seconds where i got a reply from todd and say hey we're all watching the same thing so you just have a lot of stories of being you know of keeping in touch with these guys and you want to get everybody on your draft but it just it just doesn't always happen but you know it's it's not doesn't mean that it's not at the end of the relationship because you still you watch these guys play on tv and you just you'll always you know stay in touch with them
0: Yeah, and it could be something like Rich Hill where, you know, they come back to the organization, you know, after they've been away for a little while. And um, that's nice. He's a Milton guy, which is Mm -hmm. where we are today in studio. Um, I was – oh, I wanted to ask – so another kind of crushing thing that could happen for scouts. I was talking uh, to Matt Hyde who was in here for the podcast, and he was saying, like, in the fall, all he really wanted to do was get down to UConn on Fridays and watch uh, Reggie Crawford pitch. Because he's such a a phenomenal prospect. Because, you know, he's kind of a two way guy He was thrown, you know, 101 on the Cape last summer. Um, And that was pretty devastating to see his uh, injury situation. He's going to miss the spring season. Uh, But that injury isn't as much of a death toll, I think, as it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Guys will come back from Tommy John surgery and, you know, have great careers. How do you think that injury? and not, maybe not even specifically for Reggie, uh, but just the injury in general. How will it affect uh, a player's draft stock when they suffer that type of injury? And they're such a blue-chip prospect where, you know, you might kick yourself if you see that guy in the big leagues in five years just because he, he didn't play this spring.
1: Obviously, it doesn't help, but... Um, and first of all, you talked about how, how great a prospect Reggie Crawford is. He's just a... a one of my all-time favorite kids that I've scouted in the last couple decades. He's just an, an exceptional human being. You know, we've had, we've known him for, you know, three, four years now. We had him on our teams. But he's just a, a – I don't like the cliche great kid because it's so overused, but he legitimately is. Mm-hmm. But I remember, you know, hearing about it when it happened. I saw Reggie several times this fall. I was not there when it happened, but um, I heard about it. You know, I just gave him a couple days, gave him a week or so. And I just remember texting him and saying, Reggie, it's, you know, it's going to be all right. It's going to turn out okay. A, that's why our process, if you will, is so important. And our process is seeing players early on, seeing as much of them as you can, and developing a history with them—both uh, the personality, the makeup, the individual, but also obviously the baseball. Where you know we saw progress from you know the East Coast Pro in, in Hoover to you know UConn freshman year and SEAM during the summer. I saw quite a bit of them last summer you know, in the Futures League. But we got to know him, and I assured Reggie, it's you know, it's he's going to be all right. Um, again, you wish it didn't happen, but um, there's still going to be a, a high demand for Reggie in the spring. And, and a good example, he has one that you know he played with, you know Pat Winkle was somebody. And again, it's a catcher, so it's you know that's even more peculiar. But you know he had the same injury, and it worked out pretty well for Pat. He bounced back now. It's not as big a deal as it was years ago because, you know, like you mentioned, there's so many factors. You know, the science, the medicine and the science is so much better. And also I think kids have realized that if I work hard, this is an opportunity for me to do nothing but work hard. Mm -hmm. And I will not only get back to where I was but, you know, hopefully get better. Mm -hmm. And it's not magic. You know, you hear these stories about guys having Tommy John and coming back and throwing harder. It certainly is not a magic surgery. They come back you know, throwing as well or throwing harder because they worked harder. Yeah. So that, but, but Reggie, um, I think he'll be fine. The the, uh, professional baseball and the draft will be good to him. Um, You know, again, everybody got to see him. Everybody knows what he's all about. So there'll be a, there'll be a big demand for Reggie in the spring and we'll follow his progress. And, you know, everybody throughout baseball wishes him the best because he's a very good prospect, just such a likable kid. Mm -hmm. Well raised and from a really good family.
0: The New England Baseball Journal podcast will be back after these words. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. We offer the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all your baseball and softball needs with our player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your events, college resources, and customer attention in one
2: place every season. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources. For information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division I, II, and Three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to baseballjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.
0: Another trend that I read about... um, a couple of weeks ago it was saying and i don't know the exact years i want to say maybe 10 15 years ago the average fastball velocity in major league was like 92 93 and now it's you know 96 97 so it's gone up pretty significantly um, and i bet if you're in the batter's box you know that makes a big difference um, does that change the way that you evaluate you know it used to be you see a guy in high school throw 90 it was like wow that's that's jaw dropping velocity and now you know with the average Fastball velocity in the big leagues at, you know, 96, 97, maybe that's not as big a deal. Does it change the way you evaluate guys coming out of high school or even in college if they're throwing 90?
1: Well, I think um, with the advances in, in exercise science and everything else and now that everybody works out, everybody's got a personal trainer, I think what's happening is is younger pitchers are getting to their peak velocity, you know, more quickly. Okay. Um, but And kids learn how to hit velocity. You know, last year when I saw – you know he's much anticipated chase chase petty now in New jersey his first game of the year first pitch he threw was 99 and the leadoff hitter hit a line shot rocket right at the second baseman I mean, they were ready for it yeah. but kids trained to hit velocity and i remember talking to the coach of the opposing team you know after that and he's saying how you know for two weeks they knew they're facing chase so they just cranked up the pitching machine hit velocity but i think kids are kids are getting to the velocity a lot lot sooner um Unfort—I don't want to say unfortunately—but I think sometimes, and it's a natural tendency. You know, we we'll, everybody does it. If I was still playing and I was a young pitcher, I'm sure I'd still do it too. But you know, really focus on that velocity, where that's like the you know the focal point of their training. Hence, you know, all these social media posts of kids just crow hopping and just firing balls into a net. You know, and with the you know, hey, I hit 101 today on a pull down. You know, well, what's it going to be in a game? What's it going to be in the game when there's a hitter? But we recognize that, um, yeah, the velocity's taken off. Um, it's, it has to level off at some point in time because this human body can only throw so hard, I guess. But, you know, we take that into account, and we've adjusted our scale accordingly. So, you know, on our reports, I'm sure, I'm sure every other team is the same where, you know, there's always a numerical component of your fastball evaluation. It's simply a scale you know, the guy throws, he's between 94 and 97, so, you know, it's a 6 or it's a 7, whatever it is, but what's more important is the uh, the narrative, you know, where we'll say, um, you know, this fastball plays, you know, he pitches above his velocity, um, you know, hitters don't seem to get a good look at it, but ultimately, it's the narrative of what the fastball does, because you know, all that matters is what the hitter thinks of the fastball, not what the radar gun does or any graphics or any spreadsheets, just does a fastball play, and... You know, on the flip side for the hitters, you know, do they hit the velocity? Because at the end of the day, you have to be able to throw and hit fastballs.
0: Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Now, I wanted to ask about kind of the, the character evaluation because, you know, I've heard from scouts who say, you know, if they're looking at a high school kid, they'll call the cafeteria lunch lady and say, you know, what's he like, you know, in school? Is he nice to you? Does he... Or, you know, guys, do they do they run out their ground balls to first base? Or are they trying to lift other guys up from the dugout when they're not, you know, hitting? Um, what are some of the things you'll look at to say, you know, is this guy going to be someone who uh, kind of fills the cup when it comes to team chemistry and lifting other
1: people up? It's interesting. I had this discussion yesterday with a, a scout friend of mine, and there's so many ways to describe makeup, character, personality, everything else, but... Um, somebody we had, you know, one of our front office people years ago said, you know, my barometer measuring stick for makeup is does he love to play baseball and not does he like it, but does he love it? If a player loves to play baseball, they're going to do a lot of things, right? You know, they're going to want to work. They're going to want to be a good teammate. And, um, that's a huge part of it and not playing because they're good at it, playing because they really like it playing because they want to get drafted and make some money? Do they play baseball because they love it? And I think that's that's a good starting point. But the rest, you talked about using all your resources. And I'll give you two really quick anecdotes. You know, there was a cliche. Uh, one of our assistant general managers uh, said to us at the organizational meetings about 10 years ago, you know, if you didn't talk to the school janitor about a player, you didn't do your job. And I was in New York City. We are going to see Pedro Alvarez. Is that uh, Horace Green, I forget the name of the school, but we're in New York City. And I parked my car. I just went inside to go to the restroom. And I'm walking out, and I saw the school janitor. And I kind of laughed. I said, all right, I'm going to do my job. And I asked him, hey, do you know Pedro Alvarez? Yeah, I know him. What do you know about him? And it was interesting. So I got a you know a little, you know, I got one perspective there. So I guess I did my job in that regard where I actually did technically and literally talked to the school janitor about him. And the, the other instance, I was... This is maybe 15 years ago. Up seeing a, a high school pitcher up north, and I was in the parking lot. I went back to the car to get something, and it was a small school. But there were some kids in the parking. There were some kids in the parking lot. You know, five six kids on uh, on skateboards, and you know they clearly were not members of the baseball team. And you know they were they're were on their skateboards, and I said, "Hey, do you know such and such the name of the pitcher?" I said, "Do you know him?" He goes, "Well, no, we don't." You know. He's not. We don't hang with him. You know, he's he's a. They say he's a jock. We don't hang with him. But I said, yeah, I know. Yeah, but what do you think of him? They said, well, he's a good kid. He's always respectful to us. Always says hi in the hallway. And, you know, that spoke volumes because the best evaluations you get is, I think, is from your peers. And taking that a step further. Maybe not just the peers you associate with, but maybe the peers you don't associate with. They get the best outside perspective. But it was just interesting. But we use every resource that we, that we can get. And at the end of the day, my criteria or criteria, my you know whatever, my rules of thumb: Does he love to play? Is he a good teammate? Does he want to win? Does he want to get better? You know. And if there's you know other factors outside that maybe you have question marks on somebody, you know, if they check those four boxes, you know, they get a chance. And you know there we've we've signed some kids in the past that might have some red flags or off off the field issues, but you know they're kids you know everybody's got off the field issues at any level mm-hmm. um, if you can identify those and they 've got the criteria that we talked about they love to play they're good teammates, and they want to get better. As long as you can identify if the player has any issues, I think. So ultimately, it's just getting to know the player because nobody's perfect. And I don't know if you'd want a player that's perfect. You know, you want the kid that's got the edge to him a little bit. But it's just getting to know as much as you can about them and using every resource that you have.
0: Yeah, and that's why um, the area code games and the summer rivalry classic are so valuable. And it works both ways. Like you get the opportunity. To see these guys up close, do they take coaching? Because, you know, you're getting them in real game settings and you're offering them tips and feedback and getting giving them a chance to, uh, you know, take coaching and see how they react to that. Um, and everybody, obviously, all these incoming seniors uh, coming up and now they're going to be class of 2023. Next summer, they want to play in the Area Code Games. They want to be at the Area Code Games tryouts. They want to play in that summer rivalry classic. What can they do to kind of get on your radar for those things? Or should they just trust, you know, you, you know what's going on. You're dialed into all these different coaching staffs. You're going to know who the top guys are.
1: I think just trust the process because ultimately, you know, we find out who they are. And kids think, well, if I didn't make the area code team, they don't like me or I'm not a prospect. It, it's, it's kind of misunderstood where it's not an all-star team. You know, we'll pick guys for certain reasons, for different reasons. But just being at the workout. Just being at the workout in and of itself, I mean, you know, you've seen it. Kids see it. There's, you know, 70, 80 major league scouts there. There's 150, 200 college coaches. And like we always tell them at the end of the day, hey, we didn't charge you anything. <laughs> you know, this is a great resource. But I think we get the right guys. I think we get the right guys on the team. You know, every year there's, you know, you might, you know, months later, eight, nine months later, you look at the draft and say, well, should we have had this kid on the team? But, you know, we'll think, well, well we knew him. You know, so there's no glaring omissions. It's not if we if they're not at the East Coast, they're not at the area codes where they're not a prospect or they're not somebody that we need to be interested in down the road. It's more than any other part of the country. You know, things up here change. Mm. You know, th- things change a lot over the course of those eight nine months. So, um, again, there are events that kids love to be included in, but you know, there's so many other events, and you know, we've had we've had times where hey, we have this kid on the East Coast of the area code. You know, let's have a workout later in the summer. So. I think more than ever, um, you know, we're able to see a lot of guys and, you know, there's no secrets anymore, especially with, well, especially a lot of it because of social media and the internet, you know, we'll always get the right names. It's just a question of evaluating them properly, but we have so many resources. Like I like to say, I've got 100,000 bird dog scouts in New England, (laughs) you know, because if there's somebody I need to know about, I will get an email from somebody. But I think I think for the most part we get the right guys, and again, like it's it's over the course of the year, over the course of the draft process, it kind of takes care of itself. Where we find out we find out the right guys. Yeah,
0: I get those emails too once in a while. Like, hey, you need to you need to do something on this kid because uh, he's going to be the next blue chip prospect. But yeah, no, you you guys are the ones who evaluate him and actually find out if that's true um i wanted to ask about the negotiation you know leading up to the draft because especially for high school guys you know sometimes they'll leverage you know college offers against um scouts to try to be like hey this is what i need to get uh what is that like to find out because the last thing you want to do is waste a pick especially you know first second third round pick and have a guy not sign what is, what is kind of the uh, exploratory conversation like to figure out? What's it going to take to sign you? Or maybe I don't want maybe I don't even want to spend a pick on you because you're trying to leverage your college experience against this.
1: Well, that's kind of like something that evolves over the course of the process. And, you know, it's funny you mention that because it's almost kind of like a little game we play. You know, I remember specifically last year at the Area Coats, we do this every year. It's like the first day, you know, even before we get on the field, we'll see, okay, who are the two, three guys here that are signing? And we can tell with remarkable precision, you know, we are known in advance, you know, 11 and a half months before the fact, who the guys, who the ones that you think are, you have, you have a chance of signing. And, you know, they're all good. They're all good players, but ultimately that's what it comes down to is, you know, you want to really concentrate on the guys that you can sign. And um, very rarely does it evolve over the course of the year where somebody was steadfast, they're going to college or vice versa, they're going to sign. And I don't want to say they stick to it, but... You know, kids know going into school. Like, I'll ask somebody, you know, when you woke up this morning dreamed about playing baseball, what uniform were you wearing? You know, the, like, you have a pretty good idea ahead of time. And, like, we'll tell these kids. Or, you know, I've gone into a player's home in, you know, this time of the year, this process, you know, in the fall, either November, December, January, February, you know, a player for the next year's draft. And I'll tell them sometimes, I'll say, listen, I know, whether you know it or not, I know with – near 100% absolute certainty, you're going to school, and that's fine. That's fine, but I'm here to, you know, talk talk to you about the process, answer any questions you might have, you know, kind of, you know, you're going to be a, if not this next June or July, it'll be three years down the road, but I'm here to find out a little bit more about you and educate you about the process, even though I am certain that you're going to school. And, you know, I'll get some quizzical looks sometimes, but I remember one player specifically Looked at me. It's almost like he, he and his parents let out a sigh of relief. You know, okay, well, we're going to school, and it's okay. A, a major league scout is here still talking. me, still interested. And I think that's a big part of it. But, you know, the the motto I live by, if you will, and it's as applicable to the draft as anything else, is just tell the truth. You know, if you say I'm, you know, 99% certain I'm going to school, like that does not change whether we like you as a player or not. And... You know, and there are those players that say, "Well, you know, we're signing; we're one hundred percent committed to signing." And you know, they aren't, and they're not going to fool us. <laughs> so that's uh, just, you know, anybody out there listening, just just be honest because the process will take care of itself, and we're going to like you just as much. You know, if you're going, to, even if you're going to school, hopefully you'll stay in the area. That makes it all the better. But um, there's no there's no spreadsheet you can look at. You can look at any statistics. You can look at any graphs. Every player is an individual. Is an individual case basis. You know, I was talking to a player. You know, two years ago, and they said, "Well, we got this presentation from the college coach and a nice table and graphs and spreadsheets and everything else." I said, "Man, I could come up with one of those two and just skew the numbers." But you know, like I told them, your son does not fit in that spreadsheet or that chart. Everybody's an individual case basis, and it's about what's best for you. And just a quick story. I remember a couple of years ago. Um, a player we drafted out of high school, and this is about four or five years ago, and we're getting kind of down towards the deadline. And the player wanted to sign. His parents called me, and I said, "Okay, well, I'll be at your house tomorrow." And we're not going to—I'm not going there with the intent of signing him. I'm going there with the intent of finding out what the right thing is to do. And as it turns out, I mean, he really wanted to sign. And his father was the high school baseball coach. <laughs> the mother was a guidance counselor. And she said, it's his dream. School's always going to be there. He wants to play professional baseball. So at that point, it was the right thing to do. Because if, if I look across the table and ask you, do you want to play professional baseball? Unless you reach across the table and just grab me by the shirt and say, I want to sign, you know, you probably need to go to school. It is a, it's not a 99% commitment. It's a 100% commitment where you have to be all in. Um, and it doesn't mean we absolutely do not think any less by no means of a player that goes to college or signs out of college, signs out of high school, the decision is different for every player, and we fully support that we fully support that. You know we've drafted players where you know we've watched them play a little bit after the draft over the course of the summer, and we said, you know it might be the best thing for you to go to school. We'll be just as interested three years from now and we'll be your biggest fans, but you just have to make sure that you make the right decision. But what I always tell players, in fact, I was in a player's living room about a month ago. And I said, there's two things you need to understand. You're in a win-win... first one is you're in a win-win situation. Either... And again, I, it was a very good player. So a win-win situation. Either next July, you've got the opportunity to sign with a professional team and you know achieve what your ultimate dream really is, or on the set you on the road there. Or you're going to go play at a really good school. You know, that's the first reality. The second reality is you're leaving home. You're going somewhere. And that's always you know, that, that's always what's in the back of their mind because it's they are leaving home. And, you know, college is, I don't want to say the safer thing, but it's typically what we do. You know, you, you go to grammar school, you go to high school, after, that, you go to college. That's the normal course of action. So, you know, if, if they say, if they look at me and say, I want to go to, col- go to college, like, we're their biggest fans. You know, college baseball is really good. you got to be really good to play it. So we fully support that. But the whole thing about signing out of high school and not signing, it kind of... It evolves, but we kind of see it in advance. So, you know, we have a pretty good feel for it, and every the bottom line is everybody's different. But as you mentioned, these events, East Coast, the Erie Coats, really give us insight into these players and are exceptionally valuable.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting that you'll, you know, continue to stand by these guys even if they, you know, yeah, because they'll be back in three years. You, you'll have another chance. Um, last question for you as you lay out your spring season. Uh, you know, obviously the injury to Reggie Crawford changes things a little bit, but, um, are there, you know, what, where, what schools, what, what programs are you really expecting to kind of invest in and spend a lot of time scouting guys? I know Northeastern's pitching staff looks great with Sebastian Keen and Cam Schlittler. Um, uh, UConn obviously always has. Uh, pro prospects, are are there places, Assumption had a couple of guys on your Summer Rivalry Classic team. Uh,
1: Great school. Yeah, yeah. Great school. Uh-huh. they put fl- out some good alum.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Did you go there? Or? I did. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah.
1: As with Chris Colabell the other day. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Assumption.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Are there other places you're planning on visiting more than once in the spring?
1: You, know, you never know. You see how the spring evolves. But my first weekend, um, I'm sure I'll be with a lot of other scouts from Northeast out uh, at USA Baseball and carry. Uh, Monmouth, Northeastern, a couple of the schools are down there. But um, Northe- and just from a baseball fan perspective, I guess, Northeastern would be a really good year for them. Yeah. Northeastern, UConn, I mean, you know, Mike Lavin, uh, Jimmy Penders, those are two of like, the elite coaches around. And, you know, Mike Gambino always does a good job at BC. You know, they got a couple of holes to fill, but I'm sure they'll do a great job doing it. But it's, you know, college baseball throughout the Northeast has really taken several steps up. You know, the facilities are getting so much better, but there's just a lot of really good coaches in play. And I think, I hope, I really hope players are starting to see it that there's really, you know, kids from the Northeast, there's really, really good college programs up here with really good coaches. And the reality is if they stay up around here, they'll be scouted even more because it's such a, a smaller defined area, you know, they'll be scouted a lot more and they can really develop here, up here. And so I, I think they're starting to see that where, you know, Northeast, base, Northeast college baseball can compete, absolutely compete with anybody in the country.
0: Right, yeah. Jim Penders was saying that to me a couple of years ago, I, or it might have been last year. Was Ben Casperius? Was that was that his draft year ben, last yep, two year? Two years yeah. ago, yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he said, um, you know, he was down at U- University of North Carolina. He wasn't getting scouted. And then he came up here, and guys were flying in, you know, to see him pitch on in the fall, like on Fridays in the fall. But um, yeah, I think you're right. It is is it is getting so much better, and there's plenty of opportunities for guys to um, live their fulfill their dream, you know, playing college baseball in New England. Well, Ray, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you coming in studio and um, enjoy your, the rest of your winter and spring, scouting players.
1: My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks to Ray Fagnet for joining the pod. Before we close out, a few programming notes. Rate, review, subscribe to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on your preferred platform. Be sure to subscribe so you can get an alert every time a new pod goes live. To keep up with all things New England baseball, visit BaseballJournal.com. We update the site daily with new stories. Click the subscribe tab to get the winter edition mailed to your home or office. Follow us on Twitter at NE underscore Baseball. We also want to hear from you if you have recommendations for guests or questions that you'd like me to ask. Send a DM on Twitter or email dguttonplan at BaseballJournal.com. Thanks again for listening. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media production.